All right, so we've been in this series on Ecclesia for the last two months now, and today we get to wrap it up. And uh, it's, I think it's been really good as we've gone through a tremendous amount of transition um, over the last six months, and we've just, we've kind of endured a lot. And so I think, God, you know, God's message for us and, and the call to be the community of, of Christ, it's, it's so important and just really timely for where we are. And so uh, it's been something I've been excited about, and uh, I'm, I'm glad uh, this, 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 um, this Sunday to, to really talk about what um, a worshiping community looks like and, um, and kind of to, just to kind of wrap it all up. And, and you know, even after today, when we're not talking necessarily about this series, I'm hoping that we've been shaped over the last two months to really start changing our mindset and changing our frameworks and to really start thinking and operating within the sense of community over the individual. And so uh, that's my that's my hope, that's my prayer, and, and my goal is to help push that forward today with our final message in the series. Um, you know how there's, over the last hundred years, there's been some, some great bands, right? Like, just classic bands. A couple of those bands, I'm not going to say who because I don't want to start a fight right now, but a couple of those bands, they're great as a band, but those musicians individually are like only okay. <laughs> you know, like if they had to make it on their own, they just never would have made it. And so it's, just, it's amazing how you can have like a bunch of average musicians that come together to make this great band, right? And then you got like just those, those awesome musicians that are just, you know, the musicians of a decade or of a century that just changed music, you know? And then they came together and it was just like, they were already awesome, but something happened when they came in together, and it was just magic. You know, it was just like when these four or five people got together, it was just you don't want to leave. You just want to sit there for hours and, and because it's so good. There's something that happens when we're doing this together. And when a people of God is worshiping together, as one, as opposed to just multiple people worshiping at the same time, there's a certain experience and flow from God that just something happens in us. It's how we're designed. God programmed us for community. It's how we have to operate. And the community around Christ has to be the focal point. We have to be able to see each other. I remember... So I, I, I play, I grew up playing trumpet and piano, and that's kind of what I did for a while. But when I was younger, and I, after I started learning trumpet, I wanted to learn to play drums. And so I asked um, a teacher and mentor, I was like, hey, teach me drums. And, and I'm like trying to play the, the, the hat with the snare and the kick all at the same time, and it's just, they're... They're, they're, they're not working. And I'm like, what is this? How, do you, how are you supposed to play 12 instruments at once? This doesn't make sense. I prefer a piano where I can just, you know, everything is right here. He's like, you've got to stop looking at it as 12 different instruments. It's one instrument. I'm like, that's ridiculous. <laughs> but if you talk to any drummer, that's what they'll tell you. It's not 10 different things. 
It's one different thing. It's one thing. The depths of what's possible occur when we go beyond the one or the few people we know. Now look, we can't have 100 close friends, right? Like that's not actually possible. But the ability to see one another and love is the mark of an ecclesia. You know, when, when, when you can see me and all of my stuff and love me anyway, that's the love of God. And that's what we need as we're a worshiping community together. You know, you ever had a friend, like someone you've known for a long time, as soon as you walk into a room and you see them, they don't have to say a word, you just know something's wrong? That's the depth of community that we can have and we need to strive for. Everything about this series has been geared towards moving us in a direction that will solidify our foundation as a church community. A community that not only gathers, but goes beyond gathering, reconciling humanity, encouraging one another, living in hope that serves and sacrifices out of a love for Christ and each other. A community that takes our differences and uses that not to divide, but to enrich what God has given us. And so, we're in this series talking about a worshiping community. Now, I want to I define worship and so after I give this definition, I want you to have this definition for the rest of the day, okay? Or, or just really from now on. Um, but I think when we think worship, and at least I know I do this, immediately we think what we just did, right? Singing and, and, and music. And it is that, but it's also much more than that. And so let's look at Romans 12.1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, what's great here is that Paul's talking, he explains to Romans what worship is, and he does a little play on words. He says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. And so it was a play on words for for the, the Jews that heard this because and in Hebrew culture, a sacrifice, I mean, if you've been around Christian, you know, a sacrifice has a deep meaning, right? You're killing something and offering it up to God. And so what Paul is saying is that as dead, as a dead sacrifice is, that's how much life, how much living your bodies need to be for God and offering him to worship. That's what worship is. And so he also says, in view of, of God's mercy. Uh, some translations say, in, kind of in the light of God's mercy, because of God's mercy. The implication here is that we cannot enter into the worship that God is calling us to without first experiencing the mercy of God. That is the way in which we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. And so this word mercy here, there's a lot of definitions, but the way Paul is using the word mercy here is actually talking about God's compassion. His compassion for us, and not just for us, it's specifically talking about his compassion for us and his compassion for the world. It is out of that compassionate love that we are able to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. His compassionate love is the trigger for presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice. We need to be able to engage with worship as a regular activity by experiencing his compassion. 
That's where true worship begins. And it flows through every part of our life. You see, worship is an encounter with the one who made everything good. It's, a, it's this moment when you, just, you have this experience with just the creator of all. It's also a refreshing. Worship fills you up. It, it gives you the power you need to, to move forward, to, 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 to go further. I remember a, a few years ago, me, me and my buddy Jared were working, and it's like at the same time it was so weird. Like, we were just tired and like lethargic, had a headache, didn't want to do anything. Like, man, what's wrong? What's going on? We got to pray. Then we looked like, nah, dude, it's 8 o'clock. We got to (laughs) eat. We haven't had any food all day because we've been working in the studio all day. But that's what happens, right? Like, you run out of energy. You run out of that which fills you up, and all of a sudden, life becomes hard, and and your, your soul is just tired. It needs to be filled up. And that's what worship does. Often through that music and through that experience, often through serving others, which can be ironic. Worship is learning and experiencing, but also applying practically what we've learned and experienced. It engages every part of us, that which we try to compartmentalize. You see, we separate things into nice, neat little boxes in our life, right? We have this part here, we have this part here, we have this part here, and worship integrates that. So that we are as a living sacrifice in all of that who we are and not just some of who we are. Look, compartmentalization is normal. I mean, that's just, that's kind of our culture right now. Like, this part is sacred. These are like my friends here. No one, this doesn't touch this. And, you know, this, this part of my life, though, that's over there. You know, that doesn't touch this. But what if all of these things were integrated in worship and that was the expression of all that we are as a living sacrifice? Worship and community exists in our friendships. It exists in singing, it, it teaching and encouragement. Worship is experienced through communion and baptism and prayer. And this is why we do all of those things at any given time. See, the church has different expressions of worship. And the Bible doesn't outline a specific format of how to do a Sunday service. And so we put together different things we see in Scripture to create our unique, encompassing expression of worship. This is why different churches do it differently and why some put a, f- a certain focus on some things and not others. What I want to do is reimagine for ourselves what worship can be for us individually and as a whole when we approach it from a perspective of God's mercy. Everything we've talked about up to this point and everything we're going to be talking about can and should be done in our personal lives. Absolutely. Personal worship is important and impacts our relationships and interactions. Often, though, we find our personal expression of worship to be the only source of experiencing God. And that just can't be. We have to be able to also have that worship in community. We have to be able to do corporate worship. On the other hand, we, um, we find that corporate worship, worship in the community, to be our only source of experiencing God or encountering the presence of God. And we don't have it and our personal. So we can't have either or. We really need to do both. Worship, as we have described in the ecclesia, in this group, in our community, has a profound effect 
as we're doing it together. It's a different experience than when we're alone. And I'm not discounting personal worship, but as we acknowledge Christ's call to the church, we have to begin to prioritize consistent corporate worship and approach it with a heart that welcomes the community. And listen, I get it. I'm an introverted contemplative. I want to do things on my own. Give me a book, some music, and some coffee, and I'm set for the day. Put me on a beach, it's even longer. <laughs> like, I, I, can, I can experience God just fine in my own silo, and often prefer it. And so this call I, I, I'm, I'm calling us to is also for me. Like, I have to continue to push into corporate worship. I remember several years ago, I got really sick. And not only, I think PJ remembers this, not only was I super sick, I was getting the runaround of runarounds from the doctors and the insurance company. And so not only was I sick, I couldn't get the help I needed. Like, they wouldn't run tests, they wouldn't do anything. Um, and I was in constant pain every day. Like, unimaginable pain. And so, after that goes on for a little while, it, gets, it starts to get a little dark. <laughs> you know, like a cloud starts to form and it just kind of walks over you everywhere you go. I also couldn't work. And so that, you know, that was, you know, that, and that added on top of it. And so I remember one day, uh, I was just, just in that dark place and just couldn't, didn't want to do anything. I'm just like mad at the world. You know how you're like, you're just, you're mad and like, you drop, you drop a cup of water, you're like, ah! <laughs> you know, like, just the smallest thing just sends you over the edge. Like, that was what was going on, except it was like every day. And so I remember that, and, and I just, and so the Lord was like, hey, Jeremy, just, just go to your small group. Go, go to your young adult group. I'm like, you want to be around people right now? I, I'm not the best person to be around people right now, Lord. I don't know if you see what's going on right now, but you don't want me around people. He's like, just go. I'm like, all right. And so I'm like stomping. <laughs> and so I go to the car and get in and, and go, to see my, go, go to the small group. And it was your basic small group. There's teaching. There's prayer. There's sharing. And in the middle of that, it wasn't like there was the, like this word from God that changed everything. But being in that community of that, that small ecclesia, that darkness broke. That cloud went away. The pain was still there. I was still getting ignored by the doctors and the insurance company. All that stuff was still happening. But that darkness just broke. This is why we need it. In the same way, if we approach worship with the community as the ecclesia, we have a different experience that it not only is for us, but could be for the person next to you. If they canceled young, adu young adults that day, I would not have had that. See, there's a shared bond, an exchange of mercy, a recognized brokenness, a mutual healing that occurs in the worshiping community. Let's look at something C.S. Lewis said. 
When I first became a Christian about 14 years ago, I thought that I could do it on my own by retiring to my rooms and reading theology. And I wouldn't go to churches and gospel halls. I disliked very much their hymns, which I considered fifth-rate poems set to sixth-rate music. <laughs> Look, this is C.S. It's not me. It's C.S. Lewis. He's just, he doesn't hide his emotions. Um, but as I went on, I saw the great merit of it. I came up against different people of quite different outlets and different education, and then gradually my conceit just began peeling off. I realized that the hymns, which were just sixth grade music, were nonetheless being sung with devotion and benefit by an old saint in elastic boots in the opposite pew. And then you realize that you aren't fit to clean those boots. It gets you out of your solitary conceit. One of the first things we need to do as we engage in true and proper worship, as Paul says, is to get away from the obligation of worship. For many people, and I've struggled with this myself, worship is something we owe God. It's, 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 it's an obligation for holiness. This idea is often used to motivate people to go to church. I'm not saying don't come to church. <laughs> <laughs> but it can't be an obligation. See, the reality is God doesn't actually need our worship. And I remember how we defined the large scope of worship. This community needs worship. We need worship. When we participate in this, our souls find wholeness and we get to recenter our lives. And often it exposes things in us where we realize, oh man, I really need God. And that exposure is important. Another false idea is that if we don't come to church to engage this way, then God will be angry or that we failed him. I have a question. What, what if God wasn't as transactional as we were? You see, the reality is God is sending out an invitation. And he sits patiently and gently waiting for a response. See, he sends an invitation and we respond and we show up and we experience his mercy and his compassionate love. He sends out another invitation, and we respond with our own compassion, and we receive healing. He sends out another invitation, and out of that healing, he responds with truth. He's sending an invitation, not setting up a rule book. You know, if you're, like, forced to go somewhere, it elicits a certain kind of response, right? For someone like Kim, when she's forced to go somewhere, it's a very hard no. Just, <laughs> she just won't do it. And so if you like, then you got to like drag along, right? That's not fun. Worship isn't fun that way. But if you want to go somewhere and you get invited, you just can't wait to go. Right? Like, you're just like, all right, let's go. Let's get in the car. We're ready to go. I remember as a kid, my mom would take me, because, I mean, she had to, take me grocery shopping. It was the worst thing in the world. <laughs> Worse than that, she would take me to the mall to go shopping. I mean, to this day, I hate going to the mall. I was just so bored. And, like, all I wanted to do was just play and she would make me just stand there and sit there and, like, carry stuff. And it was awful. And I'm like, she's like, hey, we're going to go shopping. I'm like, no. She's like, come on. I'm like, okay. 
but I just, I hated it. Like, can you imagine? Like, that's, if that's church, if that's worship, like, were you just like, you have to go? That's no way to do it. But when I got invited to go somewhere, oh, I got excited. Like, the minutes were like, felt like hours, right? And you just, you can't wait to go, and you're just excited. I mean, it's like if one of you invited me to go see Hamilton, I would be super excited. <laughs> I wouldn't be able to wait. The minutes would turn to hours if anybody invited me to go see Hamilton. I mean, someone should invite me to go see Hamilton because I haven't <laughs> seen Hamilton yet, but I would just really like to go. That's how you feel when you're invited to do something. To engage in the worship God is inviting us to, we also need to move away from the religious idea of it. When worship becomes piety, piety means religious acts. When worship becomes piety, we've missed the invitation. This plays out when we find ourselves doing certain activities. You see, we do activities to move God. Here, let me do this, this pious act so I can get God to do something. So, so I can get him to get something that I need. Let me do this activity to initiate this experience. See, where I had this experience one time with God. I need to create this experience again. So let me perform the same act the same way so I can have that experience. Let me do this activity so I can be holy. So I can be holy. Look, there's an element of training. Yes, absolutely. There are times when you got to, you know, Top your boots and like get going on something. But when it, when it becomes these acts to achieve a goal, we've just missed the invitation. And like, and I say this from personal experience. I've, 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 I did this a lot. Like there would be stuff I would do in community and stuff I would serve out of the community because I wanted to be good enough. Things shifted and I had much more endurance when I was doing those things because I experienced the mercy of God. If I'm offering my life because I'm trying to make up for something, it gets exhausting. If I'm offering a life because offering my life because I'm chasing a reward, and that reward can be internal or external, that external reward is that people see you and and, and you 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 come off as a good person, and, and that internal reward is because I feel good about what I did. But if that's why I'm doing it, then it becomes about that reward. Look, there's nothing wrong with rewards. They're good things. We all want them. I want them. But they're not the purpose. They're not the reason. When worship becomes more about practice than response, we've set before us a condition of relationship based on duty instead of being formed by Christ to reveal his nature. Y'all with me? Okay. So instead of all that, instead of the obligation, instead of the piety, let's move towards the cross. Let's look at Psalms 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go? and meet with God. Have you ever experienced this? Have you ever just been searching and looking 
Have you ever felt so dry that you would take anything that would quench the thirst of your heart? This is the approach to worship. When we come this way, worship becomes a place of encountering the living God, not a dead practice. Now, if you don't have that hunger now or never had it, it doesn't mean we manufacture it. That's just another side of of, of religiosity. I just made that word up. There are times when we're full. There are times when we're satisfied. It is here that our worship, whether in song or communion, discipleship or learning, becomes a place of joy and an expression of that joy, a response to the mercy of Christ, the compassion of Yahweh, the presence of the Spirit, and we give away all that we have been given. And those are awesome times when we're just full and we can just respond that way. But there are times when out of our hunger we, we, we find satisfaction and joy, but, or, or more happiness, not really joy, and yet our worship is still stale. You ever experienced that? Where like you have this satisfaction, you don't, you're not in this place, and yet worship in every kind of way is stale. Often we have the satisfaction, the satisfaction we need, but we lack joy because our hunger has been satisfied with a number of options available to us. We have so many things, y'all. Even if we don't, we still have so many things, if you know what I'm saying. Distractions abound. Solutions to every problem can be found on Amazon.com <laughs> or at Costco. Just... We, fu- we fill ourselves with the things that bring us immediate fulfillment. I'm not immune. I'm not standing on a soapbox telling you what you're doing wrong. I, I deal with, I, it's the same thing with me. A good episode of Scandal is sometimes what's needed. First couple seasons, not the last couple seasons. Sometimes I need, I need work to distract me. Sometimes these things are giving me something that I need that I'm not getting from Christ. You see, I I contend that most of our sin comes from a, a good place. I know that sounds weird. Let me explain it. There are things in us. There are there are desires in us that God put in there, but he put them in there so that we could get those fulfilled from him. But then along the way, they get turned and we fill it with other things. And so when we find ourselves filling, finding that fulfillment from those other things, it's like, okay, let's go back. What's the core desire right now? And how can that be fulfilled with the living God through my worship? You see what I'm saying? Moving towards the cross and worship begins with the hunger we talked about. It continues with choosing, making a choice to enter a place of encountering him. In this meeting where we let down our walls and expose the depths of our heart, we can be touched in the most unimaginable ways. But we have to let down the wall. And we find fulfillment that we didn't even know was possible. And if we have experienced this, 
If you've been, you've been a solid Christian 30 years, you're like, I've experienced that. Guess what? There's more. There is more available. God's desire is to draw, not to push, not to pull, but to draw each of us and all of humanity into an intimate relationship with him. Let's look at James 4.8. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. He just, he just bids for our love and for our attention, and he draws us. If you ever, like, met someone new and you want to get to know them, what's one of the first things you do? You break bread with them, right? You meet with them face-to-face. You're like, hey, let's, like, you can only get to know someone so much, so much over text. <laughs> like, you have to get face-to-face with someone. This is what we're talking about when we're talking about encountering God in worship. It's about getting to know him. And when you want to get to know someone, you've got to be honest about who you are and where you are. See, ha- have you ever been through like just a really hard time and like a friend comes and sits next to you and you just feel comforted? Like they don't say a word and you're just like, I'm okay. <laughs> you know, you ever, you ever had that feeling? That's what the presence of God is like. It's like he just comes and just sits next to you. Listen, we're not chasing an experience. We're, we're chasing a relationship. Worship interacts and can interact in the very intricacies of our life. We devote our lives to God in prayer and studying and transforming our character and caring for the poor and reconciling mankind and honoring our family members and friends, not because we're trying to check things off a list. We do this because we've experienced the mercy, the deep compassion from God, and that stuff just flows out. We serve and love others who don't believe in Jesus, not so we can get them to believe in Jesus, but because we've seen what's possible in a real relationship with Christ, and we just want to serve and love. Like, I, I got something good. I, just, I want you to experience that. And you just want your friend or coworker or family member to say, hey, there's this awesome thing that I experienced. You should, you should check this out. We say yes to God in difficult moments and steward over our finances and time well because our desire, because something in us just wants to live well, not because we have to follow a rule book. And so all of this comes together in corporate worship. We learn together, we study together, we sing together, and we serve together. And it is here where the community goes beyond a group of people gathering with a common interest. It becomes the ecclesia, a community of love and unity dedicated, dedicated to making all things new again. And we have to remember, you know, we talk about this all the time, that when Jesus came, he established the kingdom, right? But he said he's going to come back to bring the kingdom in full. And so we're in this in-between time. And so in this in-between time, we get to have these amazing experiences with God. We get to have these amazing moments. We get to meet God face-to-face. And then there's times when it's just silent. 
when it's just dark, when it's just lonely, when you've done all the things. You've been to church, you've prayed, you've done everything you can do, and it's still cold. It's because his kingdom hasn't come in full yet. Don't start blaming yourself. Don't start wondering what I've done wrong. Don't start getting into this guilt and shame cycle. Of course, there are times when we need to check in with ourselves. But God isn't that transactional. And so know that we're in this in-between time. Sometimes it comes, and we need to continue to push through that, and sometimes it doesn't, and so we just keep pushing anyway. What does the psalmist say? Though I weep through the night, joy comes in the morning. Well, guess what? Sometimes that morning isn't 12 hours later. Sometimes it's like six months later, yeah? But we still have that hope for that morning. We still have that hope to know that we can see the living God face to face and experience him. And we still are responding out of his mercy for us and not because we're trying to attain some goal to be good enough for God. Because his love is far deeper than that. All right, let's look at some practical tips. The next time you are with this community, in whatever way you connect with most, look at this time as an opportunity to have a deeper encounter with God. Plan to enter into a meeting with him with expectancy. Now look, this can be a small group. This can be our Sunday morning. It can be a prayer time, whatever it is. Make a conscious decision, a conscious act to say, you know what, I want to I meet God right now. I mean, Brother Lawrence talked about, I mean, we, we talked about this a couple times, but and, and his writings of practicing the presence of God, it's just like, this dude's washing dishes every day, full of joy, because his body, he's living his life as a sacrifice. That's his true worship. And so whatever way you're doing that, expect to encounter God in that way. Something um, uh, Dr. King said, he said, uh, if you are called to be a street sweeper, street sweeps like Beethoven composed music, like Galileo painted, street sweeps, said so all the angels in heaven say, look there, was a street sweeper for Jesus. That is a complete paraphrase, by the way, because I can't remember it exactly. <laughs> but there is something about when we offer our lives in this way, where we can expect God everywhere, not in our compartmentalized spaces. All right, number two. See others around you as you're worshiping together. Break out of your silo and let's worship as one, not as multiple people in the same room. Does that make sense? Okay, so number three is we're going to practice this right now. And so we're going to do a longer song at the end. And then we're going to have some ministry time. And then we'll pray. But let's just, 
let's practice this and let's, let's come in expecting to meet with God.